Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. And of course, we want to talk about your reaction uh, to what the government is most likely going to announce today. Of course, remember that all these figures are leaks, essentially. But of course, they are figures and they are the right dates, etc., etc. But, you know, Minister Michal Martin will stand up on the steps this evening. And he, well, I don't know exactly actually what time he's going to be at it, but uh, he will be standing up the steps and telling us probably the usual line that we're in the final for a long. That's the one he said over the last three or four times that he stood up the steps and giving you some dates, at least as dates there anyway. I want to go to Sean Defoe, political correspondent. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Hey, well, at least there's dates. Okay, they may not make everybody happy. Uh, they kind of refuse to give dates. Even uh, Stephen Donnelly, the other night in RT, said he refused to be drawn into that conversation. But now we're given dates. But they're not going to make everybody happy, are they? Not everyone, but you know what? I think they are ahead of what a lot of people would have expected, particularly when it comes to things like intercounty travel, which we weren't really expecting until June or July, and is now going to be back in about ten the days. The tenth of May. The tenth yeah. of May. Yeah, exactly. And um, so. There's going to be good things there. There's also more mixing. There's actually quite a lot on the 10th of May. So when you take in the intercounty travel, people are also going to be allowed to meet in back gardens, which up to now we were told we wouldn't be able to do. So max of three households or six people from a bunch of different households. The interesting um, one there was, by the way, you can meet indoors provided you're both vaccinated. Now, I'm wondering, did the Garda Shea kind of walk into the house and ask for a cert? I don't know how that got to work. I don't know how they would enforce that one. But I, I think a lot of people, I mean, looking here, okay, so full retail back on the 17th of May, 2nd of June, hotels, guests, houses, and B&Bs reopened. Open. Now, I spoke to Paul Travaux yesterday uh, from uh, Travaux's restaurant in Killarney, uh, the celebrity chef, and he said he's opening in June anyway, whether they tell him to or not, because he said the problem is that most of the restaurants in this country can't, uh, I suppose, provide outdoor dining. Also, we're living in Ireland. It tends to rain quite a lot as well. And he said, why are we being treated differently? The virus doesn't know if you're staying the night. You know, and, and I, I can understand yeah. their point of view. I mean, there isn't really, and there's, there's no breadcrumbs for them there at all. There's no suggestion of indoor dining or suggestion of, you know, having a pint sitting in the pub. No, and already the Restaurant Association are giving out this morning. And, and I think Paul has said that a couple of times now about opening before the restrictions, but he is genuinely incensed about it, which a lot of people are. So, and especially you can see it when uh, Nesset's recommendation was actually to open up the pubs. Uh, restaurants and the hotels at the same time. And it's the one bit where the government's gone against them. Instead, the government's decided to to open the hotels a little bit earlier on the 2nd of June and allow them to do indoor dining. Now, to be fair to a lot of hotels, difficult to do the likes of the breakfasts or the dinners outdoors. They wouldn't have the facilities. But the same problem pertains to the pubs. So I think they will probably rightly ask, well, what's the difference if Hotels can do it in their restaurants and indoors for residents. Why can't we do it? And well, they, they, were claiming it's dis- they were claiming it's discrimination, of course, that they're being treated differently to the hotels, that they are equally necessary workers in that sense. In other words, the government is suggesting they're unnecessary. Uh, in relation to other things, I suppose, um, in relation to weddings, again, a lot of people out there had cancelled their weddings last year, put them forward this year with a little bit of hope that maybe we can have a few people at a, at a wedding. That doesn't really seem to be the case at all. There, there doesn't seem to be a date here. It has uh, the most can have was 50 guests at a wedding ceremony and funeral or six at indoor reception 15 outdoor that's from the 10th of may they might have hoped for a few more than that yeah this is one of the interesting ones as well because you are going to be allowed uh, from the 10th of may religious services in general are returning with a cap of 50 so funerals are going up to 50 as well which is obviously good news for anyone who's had to go to a funeral at the minute it's just uh, impossibly hard when you can't have everyone your support network there but the weddings are going up to 50 for the services uh, but then you have to kind of whittle out 44 of your least favourite invitees and only have six back 
to whatever dinner you're having if you're having a function or 15 outdoors. It looks as though uh, what I'm hearing is from the 7th of June that will increase to 25, still quite limited, and there's no date yet for how it will go beyond that into July or when it will actually be up mm. to 50 or up to any sort of scale that you would usually see from an Irish wedding. So, yeah, uh, just, just, just to clarify that for people listening, because I know a lot of people listening maybe to the news this morning thought, oh, 50 guests at a wedding, that's great. It's not really. It's 50 guests at the church, essentially, yeah. or, or outside. Uh, you can only bring six to the hotel, which is really... And, so, yeah, it's going to be some fairly embarrassing scenes in the car park. Yeah, the bride, the, groom, okay, the, the, bride the groom and the mothers and fathers, and that's about it, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pick your favourite sibling, maybe, and then go off. Yeah, I mean, look, okay, the hotels, I, I, I suppose to the Irish Hotel Federation yesterday they were hoping obviously for June and they've got what they wanted uh, and of course they have to bring in the inter-county travel with that because if they didn't there'd be nobody to go to the hotels but Simon Coveney mm. is suggesting you know that um, that Neffet said there was a low to moderate risk and they're the ones that know about the data um, and also then I, I was watching last night Eamon Ryan obviously suggesting that we had to do a balance between vaccinations and restrictions but we've been very slow to get the vaccinations out I mean if I want on Saturday, I can hop into a car and go to Belfast and go shopping. So realistically, we should have opened our retail with, with Northern Ireland, shouldn't we? Well, if we were a little bit ahead of the vaccine programme, we could have. And actually, it's interesting that you, you say about the, the slowness in it, because so much of this plan is actually being pinned on the vaccine rollout being successful through May and June. Like Tony Hulden, any of the ministers I spoke to last night were surprised how upbeat Tony Hulden was and that he was actually going for this. They thought that he would come back and say, no, 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 you have to push it back further, push it back further until the numbers are down. But it does seem to be there's a shift away from the numbers we have, which haven't been moving for, for three or four weeks. There's maybe been a slight uptick in, in the last week even towards hospitalizations, ICU and vaccinations. So really they're pinning everything on the fact that by the end of, of May we have another 800,000 odd vaccinations done by the end of June it's even more maybe another add another million on top of that and indeed I think the new target that are coming out later see a, seen a leaked version of it aims to have uh, 4.5 million doses delivered by the end of June at the moment we're at about 1.5 so that's three million more doses over a two-month time span. That does make things very diff- very different because even a first dose protects you to a level all the most vulnerable will be protected, so it matters a little bit less what younger people who aren't going to be hit as hard do, you know? So it is very much contingent on this going well uh, that we can then kick on and... and expand everything that everyone is calling for again to go that level further, you know? Okay, of course, the other thing they've been talked about this morning is the, the green certificate or the green passport uh, with the European Union. Now, it's all well and good if the European Union uh, suggests that there should be a green certificate and green passport. And I spoke to Nick Gammon in relation to the aviation industry and, and they're decimated, obviously, at the moment. I don't want to uh, go without saying, of course, Joe Walsh tours uh, collapsed there over the last two days, mm-hmm. which should have probably been the bigger story in the news. Seems they're so, in, uh, I suppose, they're very, very Irish. We always consider them to be very Irish. But in saying that, I mean, it's not much good us having a green passport if the Garda Shea Connor are still going to be charging people €2,000 uh, you know, or fining them for leaving the country and we don't lift that uh, from the Department of Foreign Affairs, we don't lift that unnecessary travel ban in the first place. So that won't be of any value to us unless we lift that. So is there, has there been any suggestion of that travel ban being lifted? There was today by one of the Fine Gael MEPs, Conor Markey, he's after suggesting that he thinks this green certificate will be in place for us uh, by July and obviously to put that in place would necessitate all the things you're talking about. You'd have to have another look at mandatory hotel quarantine, who you're going to put on it, or else you're, you're, you're making it a bit, of a, a bit of a nonsense. There's not going to be much talk about it today at the Cabinet meeting. They're, they're kicking it towards, at the very earliest, the end of May, to actually consider it. And to be honest, from what I'm hearing, I think July is still very optimistic to think that we'll be doing any sort of international travel on any scale in July. You're probably looking at all this the best-case scenario, and realistically towards September, October, before there is any sort of return. And they're going to take a 
a cautious approach. And you can see the likes of the fact that a number of variants of concern have been picked up in the mandatory hotel quarantine. Like, they are coming into the country, and we do need to stop them because, you know, as soon as they develop, and when they develop further, that's when you get into the, the potential scenario of them being vaccine-resistant, which would put all the work we've done in the last year to, to absolute nonsense. So there does need to be, I think, a level of extra security around international travel, at least until all the countries that are potentially coming here get, also get a handle on the virus. Is there a possibility that Michal Martin might go down the road of uh, Boris Johnson this afternoon? Not that I believe he's anything like Boris Johnson, uh, but is there any possibility that he might say, these are, we're not going to go back on these, we can't return to lockdown again. Boris has you know, said at no stage are they going to go back on what they're doing at the moment. Now, they're way ahead of us, as you well know, in the United Kingdom. Uh, they're drinking their wine over here while we're miserable in our houses. Mm. So is, is there a possibility that he might say something like that, that we're bringing this in, it's not changeable, we're not going back on it, we're not going back into lockdown, because realistically, Sean, you know as well as I do, they can't afford to keep footing the bill for this. The PUP payment as it is has cost £9 billion. so they can't afford to keep doing this anyway. Yeah, but also people aren't going to, you know, the, the public mood as well is truly done with lockdowns, I think, and it's going to be very hard to claw that back, whatever, about the scale we got it to before. I think he'll say something similar to that, it won't, he's not going to cope and say we're absolutely definitely never going back to lockdown, because of course there's always that possibility and the uh, one minister, very senior minister, told me last night, a lot of the indicators for COVID are still flashing orange, like we're very much not down to the scenario Neffet wanted, where we were 100, 200 cases a day and very, very low hospitalisation and ICU numbers, there is still cause to worry but Micheál Martin has said repeatedly in the last few days, whatever they open, they intend to keep open and they don't want to go back into a cycle of lockdown. So they've obviously put this plan in place thinking that it is sustainable and that we can get all this open and not have to go back to it because that would be really the nightmare scenario. I think lockdown four would just... uh Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about it. It doesn't really bear thinking about it. I did hear this morning, I, I, I did hear ISAG uh, on the radio this morning, of course, they're not happy at all. And they believe that we should be more cautious. I, I don't know what they actually plan, but they're looking for obviously zero COVID. Do you think there's a sense that Neffet, in some way, well, a lot of people are very disappointed that Neffet have been essentially allowed to run, run the country for the last year. But do you think there's a, a sense in Neffet to try to, I suppose, go halfway there to the zero COVID theory? I mean, when we see Neffet recommended during the week adding more European countries, countries, and I don't know how uh, that would be legally challenged, by the way, by the European Union, but adding more European countries to the mandatory hotel quarantine list, that could be disastrous for our tourism industry. But this is exactly what ISAG are looking for, and it seems Neffet are kind of going down that route a little bit, aren't they? Well, Neffet have been calling for mandatory hotel quarantine long before it was done, and long before ISAG was even created, they had been pushing for more restrictions on people coming into the country uh, for, for quite a long time. It was the government and the political level that took ages to come around until basically the entire opposition adopted the position and went at them. So Neffet have been in favour of that and have been making those recommendations. It's a really interesting one because um, going into... Yesterday, there was obviously also speculation that there always is ahead of these cabinet meetings about what could happen and there was talk of the pub being open in May and people flying kites all over the place. And the usual expectation is to go into that and Tony Hooligan shuts it all down. He says, absolutely not, we're not doing that. Uh, but he didn't and was actually quite positive, I'm told, at the meeting last night uh, and has put a plan in place that is ahead of what a lot of people thought it would be. And that's actually caused concern in government buildings today. There's a lot, a lot of officials I've been talking to who are just questioning, is this a repeat of December? Are we trying to go for the meaningful summer instead of the meaningful Christmas and going to go down that same path? that we already did. So while there's a lot of people on one side clamouring for we want more, we want it quicker, there's a lot of people in government going, oh, are we going a bit too fast here as well? You know, it's a, it's a, well, it's a kind of a yeah, the, 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 the sense I'm getting this morning from Twitter is it's kind of breadcrumbs and people are suggesting this is a few breadcrumbs thrown and if it all goes pear-shaped and numbers go back up again to say seven or 800, that all of a sudden, you know, the hospitality industry will be blamed again. I know the Tarnish had just said now at the moment, just breaking news, that there's a clear plan for the future of wage supports because a lot of people are concerned about that beyond the end of June, which will be published at the end of May. 
And he also says that pubs trading outdoors will still be allowed to avail of the CRSS as their uh, trading ability will remain significantly constrained. So for those people in business and those obviously getting a PUP payment, there will be an announcement made today in relation to extending that beyond the end of June for those businesses still affected. Sean, listen, thank you very much indeed. I think it's disappointing. I don't know whether you think it's disappointing or not, but I think it's disappointing. I thought more should have been done at this stage. We've been in the longest lockdown in the world with the exception of Cuba. So I think more should have been done for the Irish people at this stage. Would you, uh, would, no, would you honest, agree? I, well, I, I know I think it's a nice balance. I'll be honest with you. I think it's a good balance down the middle of kind of playing it safe, but also, and things like the, I, I really, as someone who is not a, not a natural dub, I'm a Waterford man trapped in Dublin for the last five, last eight years, the last little while. Um, and I the thought of being able to go home, being able to go in and visit my grandparents, visit my parents, that's a, I, that's a big boost for me being able to do it a bit sooner, even if we do have to wait a while for the, the pubs. And I don't know those industries are going to happen. So, so, you no, are, so are you telling me that you won't, be on the, uh, you won't be on the bus up to Newry to do your shopping on Saturday? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, I won't. But I might be on, a, uh, might be on the uh, M9 down to Waterford to uh, get a couple of blank bars and, and, All and right. do a few other things down the beach. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Sean Defoe, political correspondent. As you just heard there, just to give you a rundown again, by the way, on those, and I want to get your reaction, whether you believe this is enough. Have we gone far enough? Have we gone too far? I know there's people out there listening today saying that we're gone too far. Somebody said, listening to Simon Covey this morning, uh, talking, it would uh, would suggest that they would uh, will be another lockdown if cases go back up again, says Joe. Uh, well, look, Michal Martin said it himself. Uh, a while ago, only about two or three weeks ago there on Virgin TV, uh, he did turn around and say that when they asked him, could there be another lockdown again coming into the winter season, which would be October, uh, right through to January? He says he wasn't ruling it out. I mean, this is turning into madness. It's just turning into madness. Anyway, the breadcrumbs that are thrown out today, uh, that's what I'm going to call them, uh, from the 10th of May, inter-county travel. Uh, now, they had to bring in the inter-county travel. There was no choice in that. Because they're opening the guest houses and hotels, they had to bring in inter-county travel because there would be nobody to go to the guest houses and hotels if they didn't. So they had no choice in that, really. Household visits, three households indoors, but only if vaccinated. Now, there is a thing. So you invite, you know, I don't know, three people over for dinner or whatever it happens to be, and all of a sudden... Hello, I'm going to share corner. We believe you have three people in your house. Do they all have a certificate to be vaccinated? Are the guards, how are they going to police that? Anyway, look, personal services, barbers and salons, uh, hairdressers will all open. Um, and obviously with social distancing, etc., etc. This is from the 10th of May. Uh, so we're two weeks behind the north of Ireland. Well, three weeks actually in relation to, to the hairdressers and salons behind the north of Ireland. And as I mentioned, shopping starts in the north, and our, north of Ireland uh, this uh, Friday, I think it is. 50 guests at a wedding, but the 50 guests can't go to the reception. Only six can go to the reception. That's a bit pointless, isn't it? Why do they bother with the 50 if only six? Because maybe they're outdoors at a church. Oh, yeah, because they couldn't, because they allow 50 out of worship. So they have to allow the 50 to go to the, the church. Click and collect, uh, full reopening later in May. Now, it doesn't actually give a date for that. But anyway, the thing about it is, I don't see what the risk of COVID-19 to click and collect is, to be honest with you. Where you ring up, you know, your Harvey Normans or your whatever it is, Sofa's Direct or whatever company it happens to be, and you order something and you go and collect it. But you're, where's the risk in that? You're wearing a mask, somebody hands it to you, you throw it in the back of the car, or they can throw it in the back of the car. I don't see the risk. Adult training courses, outdoor gatherings of 15 people, museum ga- uh, galleries, public transport, 50% capacity. 17th of May, full retail. So 17th of May, all retail can open back up again. All unnecessary retail, which have been closed uh, now since the, the end of December, can all reopen again. They've been closed for nearly six months now at this stage, or four months, I'd say, at this stage. 
2nd of June, uh, hotels, guest houses and bed and breakfast can reopen, but restaurants and bars can't. That doesn't make any sense. I'll try and talk to Paul Travaux about that before the end of the show as well. 7th of June, 25 at a wedding reception. So we've got to increase the wedding receptions now to 25 on the 7th of June. Okay, that's a month away. Uh, more than a month away, actually. Hotel, bars and restaurants. Residents only. Indoor visits from one household. Outdoor hospitality, restaurants and pubs. In other words, as long as you can provide food outdoors. This is Ireland. It rains a lot. It's kind of pointless. And I believe, according to Paul, about 80% of restaurants don't have facilities to serve outdoors. So this is not good enough for the restaurants. And they're going to say, why are we being treated differently to hotels? COVID-19 doesn't know that you're staying the night. Unless it's a really intelligent virus. Uh, gyms and pools reopen for individual training. And then they're to consider, consider for the 5th of July, indoor team sports like five-a-sides, all that kind of stuff, badminton. Uh, workout classes, whatever that is. Uh, indoor hospitality. Now, they're to consider this from the 5th of July. In other words, it's not happening on the 5th of July. They're considering it. In other words, they'll sit down on the 5th of July and they'll consider it. We're at the behest of the HSC and Neffet, who you didn't vote for, by the way, but the government don't seem to think uh, that they should make any decisions outside of what Neffet are really saying, to be honest, which with the greatest respect. So I want to know how you feel about this. That's it, by the way, in case you thought there was any more to it. That's it. Let me know. The number is 087-188-008. Meanwhile, England, Northern Ireland, they're going bonkers. They're having a ball of a time. They'll be all in the pubs next week in, or, uh, in the UK, in Northern Ireland. They'll be all up shopping in their Ikeas and their Aldis and their Littles and their Debenhams and their whatever else they're going to. On Friday, they'll be shopping like mad. There'll be people from south of Ireland getting into buses and going up there. You can be sure of it. Meanwhile, Paddy is sitting here just taking it on the chin. Ah, she will be grand. Mel says, if you keep moaning, you'll have no listeners. Well, Mel, actually, the moaning that I've done this year, we've actually had more listeners. Probably nearly doubled, actually, in listenership in the last year, Mel, because of my moaning. Because very few other presenters are actually doing the moaning, Mel. So thanks very much, Mel. But if you're happy with what's going on, that's fine, Mel. I'm bloody ridiculous. I had to cancel my wedding last year because I have 30 at my wedding. I've rebooked it for August. Oh, sorry, that's scrolling past me here. I've rebooked it for August this year, and it isn't looking good either. No, it's not, it's not looking good. Hello, now, with Intercounty Travel resuming, are mobile homes uh, parks reopen? Mobile home parks reopening. Um, to answer your question, I don't know because it doesn't mention it. Um, but I'll try and find out for you. But I assume so. I assume once intercounty travel is lifted, and I assume, you know, that you can have three households at your mobile home provided they're all vaccinated or the, an outdoor gathering of 15 people. So in the park, 15 people could sit together, for example, all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I'm assuming so. There is no reason why it wouldn't. Um, so I would say yes, but I will get Ashley to check it just to be sure, to be sure. So let me know uh, what you think of these restrictions being lifted. Is it enough or is it just breadcrumbs? Uh, Sam, you're on Ireland's Classic Hits. How are you doing, Sam? How are you again? Um, Sam, I mean, is this enough? Uh, no, well, I it, I don't think so, but I, I think it's mainly that it's... It, it seemed to me, like, since the very start of this, back in March last year, it's... There's, it's all short-term, very short-term planning, all reactionary, no long-term foresight over what's going on, really. like it, It's one thing to make your decisions based on how much harm you're going to cause people because of them getting severe complications due to coronavirus or death in, in some cases. But it's another thing to ignore the fact that you have no idea what the knock-on effects of lockdown are 10 years down the line on... No, we do have an idea. There's been, there's been numerous, but lots of research in relation to this, Sam. 
And, you know, they do believe that, you know, the deaths from the knock-on effect of lockdowns rather than COVID-19 itself, i.e. undiagnosed cancers, et cetera, et cetera, and, mm. and mental health problems and all those kind of things, that they can have a massive knock-on effect, which could be worse than COVID itself. Yeah. Uh, and this is what Ivor was saying when you were on their, um, your talk with him yesterday. I originally started looking into this more after seeing one of his videos. And even if you do something basic, like look at a kind of a quarterly rolling average of deaths over the past, I went back as far as 10 years. So I have 2010 to 2020 Q2. So the end of whatever, the end of um, June or May in, mm-hmm. in 2020. The biggest peak in that period is Q is around the first quarter of 2018. The biggest peak in death period. Well, that was that was because we had a bad 2017, 2018 flu season. Yeah, yeah, and and we haven't. So the, the 2019 end of 2019 wasn't even close to that. Nor was the beginning of 2020, from what I'm seeing. Now I haven't updated. Yeah, this is Ivor Cummins was referring to the presentation that was done on primetime last week, which talked about excess deaths and the way the data mm-hmm. was manipulated. He believes was manipulated by RTE. You have to, to have su- a consistent time step. Absolutely, yeah. you can't yeah. you can't so compare two different time places. Yes, you can't do that. That's not how you scientifically prove something. And what they did was wrong, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I was concerned, and many others are concerned. But in relation to what we're doing, and I think we all agree that, you know, people die, unfortunately. It's a fact of life. And more people die in the winter period than die in the summer period. That's also a fact of life as well, because unfortunately, if you're frail or if you have underlying symptoms, uh, the winter months can be harder to get through. So that's always the way it's been. Um, This is another virus we have to deal with. Um, in life it could be around for the next 30 or 40 years we don't know 100 years maybe uh, and you believe you know we're not accepting that and we're yeah, being I, I overcautious getting, yeah I think it should be treated like any other influenza and we should be preparing for it as best we can with the way we normally do things where we inoculate those who really need it the same as we would you know my granny would get flu shots she's already had I think both of her coronavirus jabs mm-hmm. but the problem is with such a if, if it's a virus that mutates fast enough that you get new variants more quickly than you would with influenza. We, it's hard to say whether well, any vaccination is variants. I, mean, I spoke to Professor John Lee about this last week and he believes this uh, is nothing but a scare tactic or, or a way of keeping compliance because every virus has thousands of variants. Mm. These are variants and, and there's no suggestion that any of these variants are more dangerous. Yes, some of these variants can spread a little bit quicker, but there's no suggestion they're any more dangerous to human beings. But, but in saying that, he doesn't buy into the variant argument. He believes that that's something we just have to deal with because yeah, every virus yeah. has I, a lot I of agree, variants. Yeah. You know, it would be a very unique virus if it didn't have variants. I don't yeah, know why we're surprised exactly, yeah. by that. But stay there for a second. Let me just go to Gareth. Gareth, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Gareth? How are you doing? How are you? Uh, Gareth, you're due to get married in late June, but now you're very confused. Yeah, as I say, I'm more confused now than, than two months ago. Well, if you're getting married in late June, 7th of June, you can have 25 at the wedding reception and you can have 50 in the church. Yeah, but the problem is um, our, our, we're getting married in um, a registry office. Right. So I'm not sure how, how that would work with uh, 50 people in a registry no, office. No, you can't do that. Uh, you can have... Um, I'm just looking here. Let me just figure this out for you because it's not actually a place of worship. So that wouldn't be counted as a place of worship. So I, I'm assuming there would be a limited, it doesn't give me an exact amount here for indoors. I'm assuming it's the same as indoors anywhere else. There's probably going to be a limit of, say, three households or two households or something like that indoors. Yeah, yeah um, as I say, we've had to cancel twice already um, and we thought we'd be okay for June. But it, it now, my, it does say 50 guests at a wedding ceremony or f- and funeral. Now, 
I'm assuming that applies to places of worship. I don't think it would apply to a registry office. I don't. I I could be wrong. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't think it would apply to a registry office. It doesn't specify it. So as I say, it's making people more confused. Yeah. Uh, regarding their, their wedding receptions, like um, what we did, what we had planned to do was was to have the the wedding recep- the wedding ceremony in the registry office, and then go back to a hotel. Um, and we booked rooms in the hotel. Well, so twenty five we, can only go to the hotel. Yeah. So if you're you're if you're a resident in the hotel, are you going to uh, tell you you can't stay there? Ah, I get what you're. I get where, get where you're going with the loophole here. Right? I see where you're going with that. By the way, so okay. So just to clarify for everybody, because I know it is very complicated. Okay, if you're getting married in a church, places of worship are set for good news. It says here with 50 attendees permitted at a normal service as well as funerals and weddings. So it's only if you're getting married in a church. However, six people can only attend the wedding reception indoors or 15 outdoors. This will increase to 25. In June, well, actually, according to what I have here, it says seventh of June. Yeah, the tw- twenty-five at a wedding reception. So you can still only have twenty-five at the wedding reception if you're getting married in a registry office. Well, then there are different rules to that to a place of worship. So you're not going to be allowed to have the twenty-five or fifty in the in the registry office. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, yeah. As I say, it's and, I, and I know what you're saying. If people yeah. booked into the hotel themselves independently as not part of the wedding. Yeah. But, so what's the difference? And you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. But so that, exactly. that's entirely up to the hotel and how they play that game with you. Yeah, yeah. But at the moment, the, the venue that we booked there coming out and saying there's no live music or... No, no, you're not allowed a band, I don't think. Yeah, you're not. Or a DJ or... No, You're just no. basically allowed uh, whatever music you have for the ceremony. Like, um, Yeah, it's, it's a bit just, tough, all right. Yeah, you just really... They haven't really addressed... Um, the important thing, as I say, the chap on a few minutes ago, he said he, he rebooked his wedding for August, and it's not looking likely that he'd be able to have the numbers either. Like, um, no, it's just the, the hotels are going to be uh, booked out this summer now with people encouraged to take vacations now, and you're going to get tax relief for that. Like, so, um, how are they going to be able to control the amount of people that are going to? They're not going to refuse a booking. Well, I, I assume when it comes to your wedding in the hotel, which will be in a function room, I imagine of some description, yeah. where they're serving food for your six, for your 25 people, that nobody else will be allowed in. So your other guests who are staying the night on the sly, so to speak, they yeah. won't be allowed in. Yeah, yeah. The hotel will monitor, because the hotel will be under strict guidelines from the government not to allow more than 25 people into that function room. Yeah, yeah. What does it say? What are you going to do? Are you going to have other people just say in the residence bar? Like, who's going to police that? Like, to say mm. if you're part of the wedding party or you're not. I, I don't. I think a lot of it's very difficult to, to police because you've got to remember most of these are guidelines anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, like you're not going to get a fine for breaking any of them. Most of them, but in saying that, you know, the wedding, the hotel could get a fine. You know, so I suppose they will be policing it themselves. Like, they're not going to be calling the guards and saying, look, there's 25 in there and Johnny walked into the room. So I, I don't think that would be the case, but it's up to them to police it because they're the ones who get the fine ultimately. But but getting back to do you believe that this is, is it good news? Well, I mean, apart from your wedding, obviously, uh, Gareth, is it good news or bad news, these restrictions that you've heard this morning being lifted? It's basically the same as we were in. The same. Like, there's, not okay. much, there's not much difference you know yeah it's it's like it's like gas it's, i i believe it's almost like gaslighting the citizens to be honest with you i mean sam is that is that the way you feel about it i, I yeah I, I think that you're preying on the fact 
because the reality, right, my background is, you know, my, my primary degree is psychology and maths, and my I'm doing a master's in artificial intelligence, so I think I can at least speak with some authority on how to interpret data. And it's just, it's always the case is people just publish and talk about data and they pass it on from scientists without any critique or knowledge of how to to really interpret it. That It's always the impression I get is that people are just being fed figures. They feed out the figures to the public and to, you know, you see the journal or whatever newspapers are publishing are, are then feeding it on to the public in a more digestible format than a journal article from some university. Well, I, no I, I mentioned yesterday that the Irish Independent put a story up from the HSE. Now, I can't remember the exact figures at the moment, but I think it was that you were 8.2% higher chance of having a stillbirth if you had COVID-19 rather than the original before COVID, 2.3% or something like that. Mm. Whereas there was an article on the same day in the United Kingdom from research that had been done, by, you know, into like four or 5,000 pregnant women over the course of the last 12 months, and they said there was no higher risk uh, of stillbirth. Um, There's an awful lot that has to be taken into account. I mean, what, what again, the whole the whole idea that, you know, it's clear that vitamin D has some effect, you know, if you're... So and, we can make, we can make in, figures in say whatever you want them to say, can't you, really, if you want Yeah, the, the key thing is that people need to be, when they're doing... When, and not, scientists will be doing this, and they should be if they're doing their, their jobs properly, but it should be a case of you you're reviewing and trying to eliminate as many confounds as possible. I mean, if you know there's a difference that's significant between... If you know that age is a significant predictor, you should be eliminating that straight away because you know it's a predictor. You want to get to the, the real things that you can affect change on. You can't change my age to make me more... Like, yes, I, I, I can't. Effect, I, I can't you change know? your underlying condition. I can't change the fact that yeah, you are likely you to, to die. You can change exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, stay there. Stay there for a second. Let me just go. Sorry about that, Gareth. I couldn't be more helped. You let me go to Carl as well. Oh, I got to switch you on here, Carl. I do apologise. Sorry, Carl. Go ahead. I don't know. Just um, just listen to what you're saying earlier. And what what the Irish we 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 just sit back down here in the south and just take it while England and the North are off shopping and the whole awful. I just feel, what can we do as as, as people now? If we go out, if we go out and protest, we're, we're ridiculed for that. What what can we do? You know, like I I haven't seen my child or wife in over a year and a half. Years How come? Quarters. How come? Because they're in they're in both sides of the world. in Peru. Oh, that's you told me about this before. They're abroad. This, my child, my four, four, four and a half year old is in Bangkok, in Thailand, and I haven't seen them in over a year, a year and three quarters now. At this stage, it was October two thousand nineteen the last time. And there's nothing I can do. You say we sit back here. You don't just sit. Like, I family who are, who are in the medical game, doctors and what have you, working, helping out. Mm-hmm. And what can we do? What, 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 what government authority can I go to to say, hey, listen, I'm not happy with what, what you brought out in the news there today. What can I do about it? Is there, is there, any, is, you know, is there an ombudsman for the government? You know, there's nothing you can do, Niall. There's absolutely nothing we can do, is there? Well, as people, in serious, as people, what well, what can we do now? I I I can't answer your question, Carol. I know, but but you're able. And to I, and it, no, but hang on, and I find it okay. equally as frustrating as you. I'm equally as frustrated as you, because. So annoyed. Yeah. Okay, but but I, and when you say what can we do, we've people like Paul Travaux who was on yesterday's restaurant tour, who doesn't agree with being treated differently to say a hotel, and he's right. I mean, he doesn't have any outdoor dining facilities or he might have very little outdoor dining facilities. So basically, he's not going to be happy. I'm going to try and get him before the show. Um, Who does he he turn to now? But what I'm saying is, all these restaurateurs, hotels, uh, bars, they all have organisations who have a spokesperson. 
And it's up to them. They're the ones. They're the key to all of this. These the re- are, uh, retail excellence who look after all the retail in this country. Uh, the aviation authority who look after all the uh, the aviation. They're the key. At some point, they have to say enough is enough. But unfortunately, at the moment, the problem is is that a lot of business is being bankrolled by the government. In other words, they're getting paid to stay closed. Now, it's not going to make them a lot of money. They're still going to end up in a lot of trouble. That can't go on for too much longer because it's cost the state nine billion just for the PUP payment. Yes. So eventually, at some point, we'll run out of money. And eventually, at some point, a lot of those businesses are going to start closing for good. And that's when people might turn around or businesses or organisations or spokespeople will say enough is enough. Well, we had only had Joe Walsh there the other day, as you said, on the show, 60 years in business. And gone. Gone. For what? I mean, is it about public health, Carol? Is it, is it still about public health? I, I don't know. <laughs> Or have we just got ourselves into some sort of, I mean, Sam knows more about psychology than I do, but have we got ourselves into some rut? By the way, I don't buy into conspiracy theories or I don't believe there's some governing body in the world that's telling governments of the world to do this to people or anything. I don't buy buy into all that. I genuinely believe that all governments of the world acted, you know, with with their heart in the right place at the start of all this. At the start. Yeah, but at this point. At this stage, we're in the longest lockdown in in the world, one of the the countries in the longest lockdown in the world. There's only four and a half million of us. Mm -hmm. it's, It's a disgrace. But see, the, but the psychology of this, and I, and I wanted to mention this again because I think it's really important because I've seen India on the news a lot lately. And yeah. by the way, my heart goes out to anybody who loses anybody to any disease or any virus or whatever it happens to be. India had done extremely well when it came to COVID-19. Up to last week, for example, India had one of the lowest case rates of COVID-19, the lowest death counts of COVID-19. Yeah. They still have. Now, you take, for example, they talked about, you know, one the other day, 2,400 people died in India in one day. Yeah. And that was all over the news and it was sensational. And yes, by the way, in those far reaches and those villages and rural parts of India where there's very little health service, we need to help them. We need to send ventilators over to the no ICU. Absolutely. No yeah. Disastrous. I, I, and, I, and I'm sure on the news, on BBC and Sky, reporters were sent to find the worst places they could find, right? Purdue was actually worse. But, here, here's, but here's the thing we've got to think about. India has a population of 1.3 billion people. That's 244 times the population roughly of Ireland. 2,400 people dying is similar to 10 people dying in this country. So we've got to put things into perspective and stop sensationalising these stories. It's sad when people die, yes, and it needs to be reported. But let's not sensationalise it into something that's grotesque or something that's completely out of proportion because it's not. No, not not for the population. It's not. No, no. It's not crazy. And that's that's all I'm saying is is that we get a handle on things and be reasonable about how we talk about these things. Sam, am I, am I wrong in saying that? No, no. I mean, every people should. The problem is you can't expect everyone to have an understanding of how to really interpret data because the reality is data on this is incredibly complicated. There's there's so much going into it, but you you should expect the leaders of your country to at least be making decisions based on good, solid, robust data that's been. You know, it's been analysed correctly, or Maybe at least it's a scaremongering us. But, but I mean, when I, when I hear a politician yesterday on the radio and his defence line was, "We don't want to see, we don't want to see happening in Ireland what's happening in India," and it's I'm saying, "Hold on a second, not comparable." Well, well, it's not comparable because yesterday, for example, there was 13 COVID deaths reported. Now, can I just point out, by the way, I think eight of those deaths were from December, January, and February, right? Mm. But in other words, they're reported, but they're reported on the day, so they still they're still people's lives. So, but I hear that report or that politician then turn around and say, we don't want to end up like India, do we? On the same day, less people died in India. 
when you take into consideration per head of population and the deaths per yeah, million. Yeah, yeah. So using that as some sort of yardstick to beat us back into submission again, I think it's just sensational and scaremongering. But that, that's a particularly grotesque example as well, because it's not even, it's not an under, he's not lacking a basic, he's lacking a complete basic understanding. Like, that's just, that'd be like me saying, well, I earn less than Nile if I worked half the year. It's like, well, factor in the amount of time you've worked. Like, that's, that's meaningless. You know, you're, you're getting a very, very crude measure. Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Carl. No, I just I, I agree. I totally agree. No, well, it, it must be breaking your heart, by the way, not to be able to see your child and your and and your wife. That must be just yeah, breaking your heart. Terrible. And, and now I believe it's that they're kicking off now in Thailand again. Um, my daughter came. I called her last night, and she said, oh, "Papa, uh, no school for one month, closed for COVID." And they were, they were one of the. They were doing well. Countries. They were doing extremely well through all of this, and now they open up the country a little bit, and now they're. Into lockdown. So, so really at, at what point are you ever going to get to see your own family? I mean, this this is horrendous that we're tearing I'm families like, apart all over the world. I'm led to believe in two months I'll probably possibly get my vaccine. I'll go on the plan, and um, I'll be allowed to enter Thailand in October the fourth. They're allowing people in that are vaccinated from October the fourth. My wife in Peru, I'm not. I won't be able to go because I'm not allowed in there. And then also, I'm not allowed to come home unless I go into mandatory quarantine. Mandatory, mandatory quarantine, which is going to cost you a fortune. Yeah, so to, to, to fly out to see my wife alone is, you know, it's a lot of money. Well, have you been talking on Facetime and stuff like that, yeah, all the time, yeah. Yeah, but it's not the know, same. It's not the same. So much, there's only so much of that you can do, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Oh look, look, my heart goes out to you, Carl, and I, and I do get your frustration. I know you're you're kind of angry in the sense that like we need to do something, but you're frustrated as to what we can do. And I think everybody's in the same boat. We all feel. There's nothing we can do because there's nothing really we can do as citizens, but it's up to those who are representative of bigger organisations and those who are representative of those who are ultimately affected businesses to stand up and do something about it if they don't feel it's right or at least question it or ask Neffert to show us proof, show us some proof uh, that we are of some risk to the people of Ireland. Hi, Niall. As a salon owner, looking forward to opening up on the 10th of May, fingers crossed, we'll know tonight. But just what need to ask all the other hair salon owners, have their staff returned? Because so far three of my staff are not returning, which leaves me in a dilemma as I have no staff when I'm opening up my salon. I've just seen is there any other salon owner in the same position as me. Thanks very much. Bye. I only received an email about the very same thing last night. Uh, somebody whose factory was reopening or something like that and he can't get staff. And the reason he can't get staff is because he pays minimum wage. A lot of the jobs will be part-time. And I'm not saying you do. And they're better off on a PUP payment. And they'd rather stay there. Or staff have ventured off and just got a job somewhere else uh, because they couldn't obviously survive on a PUP or whatever it is. So they got retrained and they got a job somewhere else. And a lot of places are going to find it difficult to get staff. It's all right for them to open up in England and Northern Ireland. But what you're going to, the main thing you're going to forget in a couple of weeks' time, they are going to be absolutely screwed. Cases are going to go through the roof. They need to lock the country down, shut down the airport, shut down the ports and seal Jesus the borders. Christ. It's the only hope we have. Yeah. It's the only hope we have. Yeah. Forget about bringing food in and forget about MEPs going outside. Just seal the borders. We have enough food in the country, enough food in the country to feed ourselves and be self-sufficient. Yeah. And I think every country in the world should do that. It's yeah. the only way we're going to get yeah. 
It's the only way we're going yeah, to get rid of this way. COVID-19. Yeah. The only way. The only way. There's no other way. No has other way. Be. Has to be. Has to be. Has to be. Thanks, Noel. That's okay. Did you climb out from under the bed for long enough to make that phone call? What a ridiculous thing to say. Stop food coming into the country. Close all the borders. We're past that point, mate. Long past that point. The virus is already in the country. You're not going to stop a virus. When in history did we ever stop a virus without the use of a vaccine and create herd immunity? When in history have we ever done that by closing borders? It's never happened. And it's not going to happen now. You should give ISAG a ring. They'd be delighted to hear from you. Jeepers creepers. So your text, as citizens, we can do something. Follow the government guidelines. Just because a sizable proportion of your citizens do not want to follow the guidelines, the majority suffer. Next election should be interesting. And that's not the case at all. The people who were calling in saying they've had enough are still following the guidelines. They're not saying they don't want to follow the guidelines. They want the guidelines removed because they believe that it's an overreaction and they believe that it's overcautious. Now, if you don't believe it's overcautious and you do believe that, you know, you want to be safer, personal responsibility comes into this. At some point, governments of the world are going to have to say, we need to get on with life again and the economy needs to grow again because that in turn loses lives and people can't get to hospital and all sorts of carry on. So... If you're still terrified, like the previous person on the WhatsApp message that I played earlier on, and you want to lock the country down, well, then I suggest that you take personal responsibility and stay in your home, if that's what you want to do. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful manner. But as a citizen, if you are terrified of COVID-19 at this stage, when we've seen the data that's out there, which suggests that the vast majority, 99 point whatever it is, percent, that figure seems to change quite a lot, of people don't die from COVID-19 if they get it. Well, then, realistically, then you, if you want to be like that, well, then just stay at home. Don't go out. Don't mix with people. Don't have people in your home. Don't chat to people in your front garden. Don't do any of those things. Stick, you, could do, you could stick to the government guidelines for the rest of your life if you want to. And that'll keep you perfectly safe. You will never have a chance of getting COVID-19 then. I suppose that's probably the best thing to do if you're terrified. Let me go to John. John, you're an Ireland's classic kid. How are you doing, John? How you doing, Ollie? It's the angry Christian. Oh, it's the angry Christian. What's yeah, the, what does the angry Christian want today? <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, hey, I angry was, Christian, was... at least you can go to Mass. When? Well, on the 10th... No, well, in two weeks' time, on the 10th of May, you'll be able... 50 people can go to Mass on a particular day. 50? Wow, isn't that amazing? Oh, well, now, come on, so John. Good. You were looking for something there a while ago. 50 people in a uh, church. It's not too bad. Doyle, the church should have been open. You know, full stop. I wouldn't, I I no wouldn't disagree with this. you. I wouldn't disagree with you. They should have been. You know, this because look, England had their churches open. Everybody, America had their churches open. So, you know, what was this carry on in Ireland that you couldn't go to mass? It was ludicrous. But the point I would make, Niall, is that these figures that they keep throwing around NEF and the government, they're never independently verified. So I wouldn't believe any of the figures. When you say ind- well, when you say independently verified, I'm not doubting the credibility of the people who work, the scientists, epidemiologists, whatever. I would. Well, well, hang on. Well, you can doubt it if you want. Who work with an yeah. effort? But all I will say is there are other scientists and other epidemiologists and other qualified people who we've spoken to on the air who disagree with them. And by the way, that's the way you know society works. You get different experts with different theories and different views, and then they come together and they come to some happy, you know, common, you know, sense approach to these things. I don't believe that's what we've done. I think we've taken the advice from one organisation with the same group of people for the last 13 months and it's now turned into an echo chamber. 
That's what I'm saying, Niall. It's the same people throwing out the same figures. I mean, when have you ever seen prime time with two opposing sides, an open debate on this saying, right, these are the figures these guys are coming up with. These are the figures these guys are coming up with. So what are the true figures? We're only hearing one side of the story. Well, the figures, well, let's the be clear, the, the, the figures, the figures are always the same. It's the interpretation of the figures that are, is different. I don't know, Noel. I mean, figures can be manipulated. As that gentleman oh, they can said be manipulated. Days, of course they can. Yeah, as, as that chap said at the, beginning of the, at the beginning of the topic there, you know, the data that's put out there, you know, a lot of people could manipulate it and say, yeah, keep this, you know, in the psychic of the people. Let's make it as bad as we can make it. What did the, the, the comparison there to um, India, wasn't it? They were saying now that, you know, if we don't lock down a lockdown, we could turn into India. That scaremongering tactic once again. And again, well, well, that does work. You did hear the person on WhatsApp just before the break there telling us we should lock down and even stop food coming into the country, for God's sake. <laughs> no, I was just laughing. Some people just want to live in a bubble. <laughs> I was laughing. You'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the serious part about it is people's lives have been locked down and we do not know whether these figures are correct or incorrect. Well, you're, you, well you, 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 have an op- you have to trust, I suppose, the people who give out those figures. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say the figures are correct, they are correct. It's how you interpret. So, for example, when you suggest that so many people have died, when you look into that data and look in a little bit more, many of those people sadly would have passed away anyway. And we know that. We understand that. Uh, but in saying that, it's how people interpret the figures. John, I have to go to break. Listen, thank you very much indeed. A lot of people, by the way, texting and WhatsApping in as well, uh, just to go to some of your uh, WhatsApp messages. Oh, by the way, the person they're giving out to me now, that was the one that said about the citizens can do something and follow the government guidelines. Uh, the person says, he or she, says, not sure where you got, I was terrified from the text. Just more interpretations from you, Niall. Facts matter. Well, you seem a little bit terrified because you're telling me that people People are suggesting they're not following government guidelines. I'm telling you, those people are not saying that. They are following government guidelines. They want the guidelines removed. And you're talking about a sizable portion of our citizens do not want to follow the guidelines the majority suffer. Uh, well, when you're saying the majority suffer, I don't believe you because I believe there's a vast, a vast amount of people, I don't know if it's a majority or a minority, but certainly it's probably split in the middle somewhere 50-50, believe the government uh, should remove more restrictions and want to get back to their lives again. And I'm sure if I did a poll on Twitter on it right now, I would imagine that somewhere around 50% of the population want to get back to their lives. They don't want these guidelines and restrictions anymore. The other 50% who are probably not financially affected by it, because you have to remember a third of the population are making out like bandits during COVID-19 financially, are making a lot of money out of COVID-19. A third of the population not really affected financially by it because either they were pensioners or they were unemployed anyway. So really, it doesn't really matter financially to them. And there is a third of the population who are in the private sector who are being decimated by it. So I suggest that those who don't care about it too much, about the guidelines too much, probably work in the public sector more so. The only thing that's been affected by them would be restrictions in movement, not their financial or their future. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.